Welcome to PSO in the Know, the podcast series that puts the spotlight on the impact of psoriasis. Together, and one PSO story at a time, we'll let people with psoriasis know they're not alone and encourage them to speak up and seek the help they deserve. I'm Cindy Lauper, and I was diagnosed with psoriasis in 2010. As a performer, this chronic condition took an immense toll on me and I did everything I could to hide my flare-ups. Then, I met with a psoriasis specialist. He told me I had options, and I discovered a treatment that works for me. And I got back to performing live again and doing all the things I used to love to do. I believe it's time to lift the curtain on psoriasis and set the stage for change. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to PSO in the Know. On today's episode, I am so excited to be talking with dermatological and psoriasis expert, Dr. Tiffany Libby. Dr. Libby is the director of Mohs Micrographic and Dermatologic Surgery at Brown Dermatology, and she's here today to share her experience with psoriasis and how it affects everyone differently. This episode of PSO in the Know is sponsored by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation, which compensated Dr. Libby for her time. Hey, Dr. Libby, how are you? Hi, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm great. Oh, that's good. I have so many questions for you. So (laughs) let's get started. So Dr. Libby, first of all, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Um, I see, oh my God, you are, um, working at Brown. <laughs> you, yeah, that's, that's an easy school. Um, <laughs> but very impressive that you are, um, at the dermatological, uh, Mohs surgery and cosmetic I am. I'm the director of Mohs Surgery there. And mm-hmm. Mohs Surgery is sort of this subset after dermatology where we primarily treat skin cancers and I remove skin cancers and repair and reconstruct patients afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then I also do um, cosmetics and laser. So um, I really enjoy kind of mixing those two fields. You know, um, I've looked at your different, um, the articles that you wrote. Mm-hmm. And um, like you wrote for Elle about exfoliation <laughs> and I was wondering, you know, what's your feeling? Because I know that women of color and well, we're all different colors, but when you do that, it affects your skin depending upon your color, right? And you have to be really careful with what you do if you have darker skin. Exfoliation is such a great topic because really anybody can do, um, anyone can exfoliate and it's really good and healthy for your skin. Um, and as you know, for psoriasis, especially since, you know, the, the skin cell turnover is happening at a much more rapid pace, um, leading to all those buildup of dead skin cells on top. Exfoliating is actually a really good idea too. And we have, um, 
a lot of products, if you'll look for that, that are over the counter for psoriasis have salicylic acid in them. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the main exfoliating um, ingredients. So, well, when I read your article on women's health and you wrote that 1.9% of African-American people have psoriasis, 1.6% of Hispanic and 36 of Caucasian. My question is, because I have been speaking with different people and as I've been doing this I have psoriasis, so that's mm-hmm. why I'm doing this. And um, I met other patients with psoriasis, and that's what kind of turned me around into, you know, jumping both feet in and trying to represent and help. Um, as I was doing this on this journey, I spoke to, you know, you do press, but I spoke to people and did some shows where the hotlines blew up on an urban show and found that the African-American community is kind of completely undeserved. So because you were talking about skincare and beauty and you do know about what psoriasis looks like on African-American people, which some dermies do not. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was wondering if you could talk about how they get those percentages if you have a community that is underserved and doesn't have access. Yeah. I mean, you bring up so many wonderful points here. So I, you know, I think one of the first ones is, you know, we have these numbers about, you know, one point 9% 9% or, you know, this, this amount of African-American patients have psoriasis. We actually think those numbers are probably underreported for a lot of the reasons that you brought up. There's not as many um, patients or populations of color who think that they can actually develop psoriasis. And we see this with skin cancer too. So I have a lot of patients who um, may be darker skin types and they erroneously think that they can't get skin cancer. So a lot of it has to do with improving education for these populations of color that yes, you can get psoriasis and, and, um, and skin cancer. Oh, absolutely. And then who to go to, you know, for diagnosis, for treatment, and you know, that there are ways to help. And then also educating and improving our educational resources within dermatology, um, as well, because a lot of our programs, you know, we see varying, um, percentages of populations of color. So I was really fortunate. I trained at Albert Einstein in the Bronx, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and I, I loved being um, in a New York training program because we primarily took care of um, underserved populations and most of our patients were populations of color. So I felt like we were really uh, well-equipped in diagnosing, um, but I think that there was also a huge gap and ways to improve for, for educating these populations as well. Um, because oftentimes, you know, access to care is is more limited for um, some populations of color, um, as well as you know access to medications and um, and treatments. We have so many treatments now for psoriasis, so that's mm-hmm. why I think one of the biggest ways to educate patients is first, you know, that um, anyone is susceptible, anyone with skin is susceptible to developing psoriasis and the numbers are probably higher than we think. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, that we have amazing treatments 
um, over-the-counter and prescription available so that you can really not have to live with the skin disease or, or you can control um, majority of it. Um, so I think that's the beautiful thing that we need to kind of spread the message so that if patients know that they you know, are susceptible to developing it, they can also seek treatments so that they don't have to live with it because we know there are so many psychosocial and other impacts, you know, beyond just having this, um, you know, the skin condition. And you, you should tell us, doctor, um, about, you know, that even if you are taking medication, that the skin is an organ and you have to care for it and you, you know, cream up, you know, as, as, cuckoo is that sounds to some people. You got to moisturize and moisturize from the inside too. You got to drink water. You got to take care. What's your analysis? Yeah. Um, no, I think you, you know, you're also just touching on some of those points, like how to have healthy skin and having a good foundation for healthy skin. And you're right. That's from the inside out. Um, and you have to make sure you moisturize and make sure that you ha- you kind of maintain that healthy skin barrier because that's where all skin health starts. So, you know, with psoriasis, you have this compromised skin barrier, um, which can lead to cracks and um, can be well, symptomatic. If you, and If you have plaques, it's certainly uh, noticeable. But in people of color, mm-hmm. it's what color is it? How does it oh, look? Absolutely. Because I know it looks different, yeah. right? You're right. So um, because you have this background of melanin-rich skin, the red or the pink that you typically see in lighter skin types doesn't look that color. It can often look, we say, violaceous in dermatology, which is sort of like this um, purplish gray can look a little, um, you know, with uh, gray tones and and browns as well. So you have to be, you know, um, attuned to recognizing the redness on a background of melanin because it doesn't often appear red. And and with your care in skin cancer, patients and and it's funny because you know psoriasis is um is it's it's not cancer. Um it's uh it it just spreads. It it just it just spreads like crazy sometimes. I mean, for me personally, I was covered from head to toe. I'm curious, like how, when, when were you diagnosed and, and how did your psoriasis present? Because I'd love to hear your story too. Well, it was a dirty trick. <laughs> I was minding my own business working <laughs> and I think I got sick and I didn't mm. know what I was sick with, but you know, in my profession, in this profession, <laughs> no, um, You basically, you know, the term rock and roll is, you know, you rock, you go to bed, you get up, you roll to the next place and you do the same thing. And so being sick, unless it's real bad, is kind of not an option. So I would take a steam, you know, a uh, a stainless steel pot and a hot plate and steam my voice and put, you know, whatever, like um, white flower oil or whatever to, you know, that, or eucalyptus to, you know, I did a lot of throat care, mm-hmm. but still I got sick. And um, it, it was, uh, that's what they said brought it on. I don't know. I got 
plaques on my head thinking because um, I have a son who played hockey at a young age mm -hmm. and um, and he you know, sometimes they come back, you know, from the team and, and they, you know, the coach says, oh, so-and-so got lice. Everybody has to use this shampoo. And you, you think you get the bugs from, from, you know, the helmets and stuff. You don't know because it's in the house. And, you know, so I thought, oh, I, I got bugs or something. So I went to a dermy who specialized in hair, mm -hmm. right? Because it was in my scalp. So he said, um, oh, that's, that's psoriasis. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it was great. The shampoo kind of worked, but after a while, you know, it didn't and it spread and it wasn't good. And I had it head to toe and except for my face. Thank goodness. A couple of times on the eyebrows, but I was able to cover that. And, um, and I kept working, but I was very miserable and, I was so inflamed that I could no longer regulate body temperature. Oh, my. So I was cold and hot all the time, freezing, you know, freezing. Yeah, so you had a very severe, so it almost sounded like it was, you know, the the almost rare um, and severe type erythrodermic where you can't even regulate your body temperature anymore. Oh, and how awesome for me. So... I mean, scalp psoriasis is so common. It's one of the most common presentations, can be difficult to treat. Um, and actually for our topic for like skin of color patients, scalp psoriasis is, is, you know, because it often presents there and the treatments are often medicated shampoos. Many of my patients of color um, wash their hair probably about once a week, maybe once every two weeks, or sometimes longer, depending on the hairstyle. Well, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so that was something interesting that I learned when I was in training, you know, that, you know, we were taught, okay, this is what you, you give, you get this um, shampoo and you're going to use this every few days. Patients say, I don't wash my hair every few days. I wash it once a week or I wash it twice, um, once every two weeks. So you have to be very culturally competent and, and um, work with the patient. You have to de devise these more specialized treatment plans and recognize you're not going to ask them to wash their hair more frequently. They're not, they're just not going to use the medication, you know? So what did you do? So there are other formulations, like they have um, these uh, oil-based corticosteroids, which I found that my um, women of color enjoyed using um, these oil-based formulations. It was it was more nourishing for the hair. It stayed on the scalp. You could apply it directly into the scalp. Oh, wow. um, and then we would still do the shampoo. We would also have lower threshold to upgrade to systemic medication. Um, and that's often how, you know, we kind of work up the treatment ladder now, you know, so if you're not able to use the medicated topicals as frequently, then we'll escalate and go, um, you know, we have a lot in our armamentarium for treatment that we can um, go to the next level and offer systemic treatment to help control the scalp psoriasis. Because we know we can bring it under control. The, the key is what's the minimum amount of medication or topical oral or injectable that we need to have you on to control your disease. Mm, that's true. Because... Yeah. I always worry about that. Um, and, and a lot of people don't like to take a lot of medicine either. But mm -hmm. for me, after a while, I can't function the way it was. So, you know. So, and this is just general, right? Mm -hmm. But in your opinion, 
common misconceptions mm-hmm. that you've heard about psoriasis, either from the patients or the general public are? I mean, a lot, I would say the number one is, is, um, is it contagious? That's what they want to know. I think that's like the key, you know, get that messaging out. But some people still think that they can't get it or that they don't think that it's psoriasis. Or um, a lot of times I will have patients coming in thinking that something is psoriasis and it's not. So you have to, you know, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a balance there. But, you know, it's, we've come a long way. I mean, from um, times when patients thought that it was infectious or that it was you know, contagious. Um, I had a lot of patients too, even in training that, you know, you had to include that in your counseling. Like, just so you know, this is not contagious because they sometimes would be afraid to ask and would think, you know, how am I going to, how is this going to affect my other family members? Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe they work as a bank teller and they don't want their arms, you know, so it, or they're a waitress and, you know, they're really cognizant about what their patrons will think when they see Mm -hmm. these plaques in their arms. So Mm -hmm. um, obviously we know it affects um, a lot mentally and um, psychosocially. So, you know, I think that the more education we can do, the better. Um, not just educating patients, but people who treat um, psoriasis patients and just a general population, just to know that it's not contagious. I mean, a lot of people and a lot of um, patients that other patients that I spoke with, and by the way, for me, speaking with other patients and meeting other people who had it as bad as I did changed my view of everything because it is an isolating thing. And, you know, some of my friends would look at me and go, oh, it's like a curse, you know, and be like, oh, I, I really just hate you right now. <laughs> I love you, but I hate you. Um, you know, um, and, and that mostly they wanted people to know it was not contagious. Mm-hmm. And that ridicule and staring at people and it's not a good idea. I mean, no matter how much of a grown-up people get to be, there's still that school kid idiocy that goes along with anytime something's different or fear, you know, you turn into that kid in the schoolyard, you know, (laughs) whether you're the victim or the one, you know, teasing or not understanding or that fear thing. Definitely. I think there's always a fear of the unknown or something that's different, you know, and I think um, the more we can normalize it and um, recognize, you know, that so that, you know, think about how tiring it must be for the patient to have to explain all the time. This is not contagious or this is my psoriasis. This is, you know, I think the more we can educate the general population too, you know, be better off um, kind of creating this more accepting environment um, and welcoming environment. When someone comes in and it's, they just discovered they have psoriasis, right? So what advice would you give them? Because you're the doc. So I think it depends on, you know, their extent of psoriasis. And, you know, um, we at least first go through counseling and explaining that this is not something where there's a definitive cure, you know, because I think that that's hard for people to to understand and grasp, you know, we want oh, to yeah. kind of fix something. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to understand that there's, there's not a cure, but there's um, like, you know, I treat so many skin cancers. We can actually cure it. We can surgically remove it and you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's very, you know, the, the difference in explaining that to a patient, they're um, much more receptive of that than if someone's telling you there's no cure for something. So I think just getting over that and, and being there emotionally with the patient as they kind of internalize that that piece of information and then 
you know, holding their hand and understand and telling them that, but there are so many treatments that we can control this. And this is something where we're going to build a relationship together to monitor because, you know, psoriasis flares, there's, it goes into remission. Sometimes it worsens. We just have to, you just have to have a close relationship with your patient to make sure that you're trying to increase that time between flares, treat them adequately when there are flares. Um, and then if you're on systemic medications, maybe there are breakthrough blocks you, and you treat those with topical treatments. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a lot, I think, and I think it's, it's an intimate relationship just to manage and, and go through this journey together with your patient. What I feel as a patient, yes, you're in partnership and mm-hmm. you need to go in with a list of questions so that you don't forget because a lot of times if you're so upset and you get to see the doctor and there's limited time and then you leave and you're like, what the heck just happened? Did I? Oh, definitely. I love when my patients bring in questions. They have like in their little notes, you know, because I know myself, but if I go in, I'm like, man, the doctor left, like my OB left and now I forgot to ask this. So it happens to me too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, the encounters can be so short sometimes that you're like trying to get in all these questions. So definitely bring in your list. Um, I think it's, you know, I know speaking from my experience, I much rather you ask me the questions and go to Dr. Google, you know. But for people of color, like what do you tell them about skincare and and of course creams. You got everybody uses creams, but it's very important if you have eczema or psoriasis or whatever it is that your skin is that you care for it, no? And how yes. do you Talk to them about that. Um, yeah. So for, for uh, my skin of color patients, you know, one thing that I do adjust is because the, and we mentioned this earlier, you know, when you're using a lot of topical corticosteroids, they can not only thin the skin, but they can cause um, almost stretch marks if you use them for too long or in, you know, too strong of ones in thinner areas. Um, they can also cause discoloration. So, oh, and also when, yep. And when, when psoriasis resolves, we know that it doesn't just resolve with nothing. Sometimes yeah. it resolves leaving a lighter spot or a darker spot. And we call that post-inflammatory pigmentation. So, uh. and that's just basically a sign of our skin recovering from that. But sometimes that can bother patients a lot more than the psoriasis plaque can itself. Can you fix it? Yeah. So great. So exactly. Um, You can, but it's difficult, you know? So I think the first thing is you have to manage the psoriasis, right? But then you also have to be mindful that, you know, patients will have these dark spots that they're going to be self-conscious of as well. And there are lightening creams. That's essentially like a hydroquinone, which is a bleaching cream mixed with the steroid and a retinoid. And you would apply that on um, to help lighten the pigmentation there. What about, what about people of color? Does it get lighter? Well, so this would be, the idea would be to lighten that dark spot to their surrounding skin. So I would say, don't apply it. You know, you, you don't want to apply it generously to everywhere because you, you know, um, you really just want to lighten that dark spot so that it can match your, match your skin tone again. Some will get lighter, some will get dark. So it depends, but for the dark spots specifically, and I find that my skin of color patients tend to, um, you know, when they have inflammation in the skin, whether it's psoriasis or eczema or even bug bites, you know, when that resolves, it leaves a little brown spot or brown patch. And we have different ways to treat it um, depending on, you know, so usually we wait till the psoriasis has resolved and then we we do this treatment, you know, to lighten those spots. Um, there are other topicals that you can use, like even things like salicylic acid, we talked about the exfoliant, helps mm-hmm. to lighten up some of that pigment as well. 
Um, what about the opposite? What do you do? If it's lighter, you know, the, it's, it's tough. I think, um, like I mentioned with the skin of color patients, I mostly see the dark spots, but we can see the lighter. And I find that that's usually from overuse of the steroid. So usually we kind of attack it from that angle, like really optimize a steroid use. So we're not seeing those light, light, those lighter spots. I see. Um, yeah. So I realize that I've really been zeroing in on just, you know, psoriasis, psoriasis. And I know that you do all these beauty things and <laughs> that is part of your, your thing. Even your hobbies is all things skincare. It says, you know, so I know that you really take care of your skin and from your photo, you have beautiful skin. So oh, that's great. You. The key for all skin types is really to optimize your like a healthy skin barrier. So the more we can do to promote that, um, you know, because our skin is so complex, you know, this organ, this, we basically any little um, change, even if you think about, you know, how susceptible we are to changes in humidity or um, changes in our environment, you know, our skin responds. I think everything starts with a healthy skin barrier. Um, and you know, especially with patients with psoriasis, you want to keep that skin well moisturized as well. Um, and the ones I really like are the ones with salicylic acid um, because they really help to exfoliate that skin and, you know, lessen up those, the rough plaques. And what about, um, that's great. I mean, things that are more affordable, are there creams that you recommend? So I think what I would say, like you can get everything you need at your local drugstore. So the selection is so wide. If you look in these drugstores now and they have, um, a lot of them have psoriasis dedicated lines, a psoriasis moisturizing cream that has a salicylic acid in it and lactic acid, which is another gentler um, skin exfoliant. Mm -hmm. And then it has moisturizers in it, like, you know, ceramides, which are these other, it's another hot topic with that. Basically ceramides in moisturizers help boost your moisturizer and help you get to that healthy skin barrier level. Mm -hmm. I think you can find everything you need at the local drugstore. I think mm -hmm. you don't have to look far and the price points are pretty good. Well, your skin, I mean, I know I, I'm, I'm badgering you on all this stuff, but your skin is so beautiful. And I guess your, your mother and your grandmother had beautiful skin too. And you, um, you talked about the little home remedies that they used. My thought is whenever a patient comes to me and, you know, patients know their skin the best. Um, if they enjoy using something and they find that it's helping just because there isn't, you know, um, just because there aren't an exorbitant amount of studies on that one ingredient, I'm happy as long as it's not causing harm for them to continue using it. I tend to stick with things that have been studied, but you know, there's things that, you know, I grew up, my mom would say, okay, don't throw out the watermelon um, the watermelon peel, like you have to cut it off and then you're, you're rubbing it over your whole face. You're resting it on your eyes for cooling sensation. And it's funny, like some of these products now they use, they use the, um, you know, the benefits watermelon? of watermelon. Yeah. In their skincare products. So I'm like, wow, my mom wasn't just making me, you know, not be wasteful or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, making a fool out of me, rubbing this watermelon all over my face. Is there a self-care activity that you always make time for? You know, I like, I like to say, I, I wish I were better at this because, you know, I think we could all use a lot more self-care these days, especially, you know, the world we live in and 
all the stress of the past uh, two years um, in pandemic times. But um, exercise has always been something that I've gravitated to for self-care. And, um, you know, for me, I like cycling. Um, I like just doing some yoga. I definitely don't do it as much as, you know, so I will be honest, I probably do yoga maybe once a month. Like (laughs) that's how little I I spend on self-care at this point. Um, I have three little kids, so I think that probably plays into it. But my, um, another thing that was, that I've adopted during these past two years that was easy to fit into my schedule was meditation. So I had never done meditation before. And there are great apps now that are free. You can download and um, you can do five minute, 10 minute meditation. So I think, you know, I'm someone who could easily say, oh, I don't have time for that. But it's hard to argue. You can't find 10 minutes in your day to do a little meditation. So I actually incorporated that in. I'll sometimes put a timer in my phone to do it as a reminder. Um, yeah. And I find that's helpful. I have to do self-care because otherwise I can't sing. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to to sing, you sing. It's like if you're a runner, you run. And if you don't run, it's uh, it creates an atrophy. And mm-hmm. so you, for me, everything is so much self-care. I'm ready to like scream, but <laughs> I have to do it to do what I do. And I noticed that when I get frustrated with a situation, I can sit down for five minutes and practice breathing Mm. and meditate. And, you know, there's that famous saying, I'd be so much better at meditation if it was, if my mind wouldn't wander so much, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's like, geez, I can't even sit still without my mind going a gazillion places, you know? And I think um, it's interesting because my, you know, especially in this world where everything is, you know, we want it at this snap of our fingertips, you know, um, and we can get things so quickly. And I think we have to, I think we're going to see a huge, I mean, we're already seeing that a huge trend back towards mindfulness and meditation, because, you know, if you always have instant reward, you know, your, your body's never, um, like, how are you going to be satisfied? You know, never. And I would say, especially for psoriasis patients, we talked, you know, what, what else can you do? Um, you can, to, to decrease your stress and finding ways to manage your stress. It can be anything. It can be just sitting down, like you mentioned for a few minutes and breathing. Um, one thing someone once taught me is how do you even do this sort of mindful breathing? You can trace the corners of a, a window, kind of like as you're breathing in, you, you trace all the way down, you exhale and you, and you kind of move along the window. I felt like that was helpful to kind of distract me a little bit. Because sometimes I, I do often find my mind is wandering um, oh my gosh, did I pick up my child? You know, like I think mm. your mind can always go a million places, but I think self-care is so key, not just for our mental health, but for psoriasis, um, inflammatory skin conditions like it. Yeah. And I know I've kept you a while, but I just have one more question and I'm, I hope I haven't been killing you here with all this stuff. No, I love it. Um, but I was I was impressed with your articles and your, you know, and and the fact that, you know, nowadays beauty comes in all shapes. Well, it's mm-hmm. not one question, it's two. All right. Beauty comes in in a lot of different shapes. And um our self-image has I don't know, you're of a completely d- different generation than myself and what I was taught 
was beautiful, although I did have my say about it in the 80s for a minute, and I did change things. But growing up, it was mostly, you know, gotta look like that Barbie doll. Mm-hmm. And I think we're things are changing. Now it, the proportions are different and people look different. And it's a little more inclusive about what you what beauty really is. Yeah. Do you have I, a comment on that one? Definitely. I'm I think we have to teach that. I mean, as a um skin doctor, you know, I see patients of all different, you know, of all different colors and everyone's beautiful in another, you know, of their own skin. Um, I think we have to teach that. I think, you know, I was once asked, like, what do you want to teach your children? We have to start it from from early on. You know, we have to teach um that beauty is beauty is in everyone. Um and we see that actually really prevalent in skincare brands, you know, where we're seeing a lot more inclusivity in um skin color shades. You know, they're Makeup. There are many, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many brands that might only have less than 10 shades. That's just not realistic. No. Um, so we're seeing definitely a big shift towards um inclusivity in in, you know, and showcasing beauty in all different ages, different sizes, different colors. Um, so I'm really happy that we're seeing that trend. I mean, I I definitely see it. I think there is always more room for improvement, obviously. Um but I think that, you know, as a skin doctor and treating, um, you know, treating all different kinds of patients, you know, I'm happy that the beauty industry is also catching up in that, in that realm. Right. They got to catch up because mm-hmm. there's too many. The world is expanding in a way that, you know, we're not so separate anymore now that we travel. And the more you open up your eyes, the more you see different people, the more inspired, inspiring for me it is anyway. Um, you know, you're, you really love the whole skincare thing. Did you get that from your mother and your grandmother? Like, because they really took care of their skin and what made you want to become a doctor of the skin? So I think culturally, um, you know, again, I'm Chinese and um, culturally there is a big emphasis on skin, skin care and skin health. So, you know, from early age, I was the crazy kid who was at soccer camp or whatever camp, but I had long sleeves on and hat and like long pants and I was sweating profusely but my mom's would like would not want me to get any like my hands would be so dark but like she was like she was you know, basically I was wearing covered in head to toe looking like I was going to you know skiing or something and um here I am in the middle of summer in a camp um so I think you know my parents always you know my mom she's one of those who will have the umbrella out you know because she doesn't want you know culturally you want to protect your skin from uv damage and from more cosmetically from being too dark you know and when and I was getting younger, wrinkles from oh, the sun. yes, yeah, we know ninety percent of ninety percent of those um, signs of photo aging, like you know, dark spots, fine lines, wrinkles, comes from the sun. Hmm. So you know, we're we're learning a lot more about how it damages our skin beyond um, cosmetics, but also skin cancer as well. 
Um, but yeah, I think my, my mom always, when I was, uh, when I was little, she always guilted me and I had to lotion up after every shower. She would always say, I still remember she would always compare your friend, Christine always uses lotion after she showers. Look how beautiful her skin is and look how terrible your skin is. You know, oh my like, gosh. <laughs> I know it was always, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'll put on the lotion right now. Um, so I think that you always, I think there is like a big emphasis on moisturization and, um, and just good skin practices. So you, know, you and, decided to become a good skin practice doctor, <laughs> teach us all. Yeah. I mean, I love dermatology. It's such a, it's, I'm a very visual person. It's, mm-hmm. it's obviously a visual field. You can treat, um, you know, you kind of interact with every different field, you know, because we see it, you know, we see skin um, side effects pop up from, um, you know, tough chemo medications. We see um, interesting skin rashes pop up in kids, in pregnant patients. Um, It really, you kind of cross over into every field. So you have to know a little bit about everything, which I love. And there's a lot of procedures. So I'm also very hands-on. So I think the procedural aspect of it for me is very, um, was a huge draw. What would you, okay, because we're talking about this and your childhood and your (laughs) influence of your mom. What would you tell your younger self? Like, if you could look back, would would there be something to tell yourself or you just figure, ah, you're going to fall into it okay? In the skincare realm or just in, in life just in general? in life. <laughs> in life. Um, I don't know that, that maybe things will work out. You know, I think that there's such a pressure. I think, I don't know if it was also culturally too. My, my parents were first generation. Yeah. Right? They came over from Hong Kong. First generation. I saw it, how hard they worked. Um, and I, I never want to lose that in the next generation. You know, I think I really embraced it and um, saw how hard that they worked for everything that they had. And um, they really instilled that in me in terms of, you know, getting a good education. Um, if you want something, you do it yourself. You know, you make things happen. Um, and yeah, I think, but with that comes a lot of pressure. So. Um, I think kind of telling myself, my younger self, that things will work out and um, to enjoy, you know, I think that we have to enjoy the present moments. You know, I think I would tell that to myself today too. Yeah. There's so Mm -hmm. much, you know, they were always thinking about the future and we often forget about the present. And I know it sounds so cliche, but I think as, you know, as I get a little older, like the cliches make sense. There are reasons they're cliches. And um, I think just enjoying the present. I think we can all kind of take a, all probably benefit from that. A deep breath. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> deep breath and look at look up once in a while. Yes. Don't miss yeah. all the things we tell the kids. Like, oh my gosh, don't forget to look out and see. Yeah. You might miss something really special that's happening. That's just small. I love that. I mean, I we went on vacation recently and I actually just lied down on the grass, grassy lawn, looking up and looking at the trees. I'm like, when was the last time I ever did this? Must have been when I was a kid at camp. Yeah, isn't you know, great? I really, I'm like, I mean, it's it's wild. I'm like, why don't I do this more often? You know, this is so relaxing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just fun to do are... that. I did that with my mother when I was mm-hmm. little. I She would lay down on a blanket with me and we'd look up. I did that with my, yeah, I, I made my son and he, I don't even know if he did that as much as I did when I was a kid, you know, because when you're at camp, they, they were, it was a lot less structured. Now I think kids like so much structure and we always have to think, also, I think it's the um, curse of like being busy parents. You know, you feel like whenever you spend time with your kids, you have to plan something and sometimes you just need to 
lie down and look up at the clouds and do something unstructured. So I, it was cute. I had my son do that with me and he really enjoyed it. You know, it was like, uh, yeah. it was so important for you to um, talk with us because there are so many people in the African-American community and people of color who are so underserved and your work up in the Bronx really, it was so good to hear you talk about that because it's good for people who need help, you know? I think one main takeaway is like patients of color who have psoriasis, they, they are definitely underdiagnosed. They're underrepresented in clinical trials, you know, and they often lack the access needed for appropriate care. So I think, you know, I think it's great that we're, we're touching on this topic today and increasing awareness. Mm, me too. All right. So I, I thank you for making the time and I guess I really drilled you today. No, this was awesome. And, and keep writing those articles um, because they're important. And I just want to say thank you to the people who are listening today. Again, if you have psoriasis, you can get more information on psoriasis.org. It's the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. And if you don't have access to a computer, you can call the National Psoriasis Foundation Helpline, which is 1-800-723-9166. Dr. Tiffany Zhao Libby. She is a dermatologist and look for her articles on in Women's Health or in whatever magazine you might pick up that's fashion. And I'm sending big love out to you. Thank you. Um, doctor, and thank you, listeners. I will see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today on PSO in the Know, sponsored by Novartis. You can listen to more episodes at psointhenow.com.